Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, October 16, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page XXVIII, the first paragraph, first full paragraph beginning, We Believe. Um, Today's readers are Michelle Kay on the 12 Steps, Rabia on the 12 Traditions, and reading the text are Elaine B., Susie K. and Anita J. The reference number for yesterday, October 15, 2014, is 6957. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book Study, Our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Michelle Kay to read the 12 steps. Uh, Press star one, Michelle. Hi, Hi, this is Michelle Kay from Northern New Jersey. Good morning, and thank you all. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrong. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, 
sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Michelle Kay. And Rabia, would you read the 12 traditions, please? Yes. Good morning, fellow visionaries. This is Rabia M., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group would never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be brought into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, I pass. Thank you, Ravia. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that we keep your share that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness and purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. And I'd like to add, this is uh, such a large group. I'd really appreciate everybody uh, guarding the time of three-minute shares. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does does request that your sharing is directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted.
Today we resume our study of the big book on page XXVIII, the first full paragraph beginning, We Believe. And I will ask Elaine to read that first paragraph. Thank you for your service, Kathy. This is Elaine B., recovered in Massachusetts. We believe, and so suggested a few years ago, that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy, that the phenomena of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. And so um, it's such a privilege to be here studying the big book with you and especially the doctor's opinion. Uh, after many uh, years in the rooms, I had never, never really looked at this. Uh, I had looked at the definition to the allergy but had never read all about what the doctor's opinion um, was talking about. So it's a privilege to study this with you today. Um, so they had suggested a few years ago, that's a few years before the writing of this book, and it was a key that, um, that the Dr. Silkworth had given to Bill W., who had been introduced by Ebby to the, um, to the Oxford group model on which many of the 12 steps are based on, yet with the practice of those practical instructions on how to sort of clean up the wreckage of your past and keep it clean, he uh, was missing this link about the allergy of the body. And when that was combined with the steps that the Oxford group, uh, the six steps that they practiced, which he, he later expanded into 12 to make it very clear, simple, and easy for people to, uh, to process. Um, once this piece of information was joined with that, it had the amazing power to help people who had, like me, <laughs> who had lost their self-confidence, their reliance on things human and whose problems were piling up because they had um, they had an allergy of the body. And just like me, I really, really didn't know this until I came into these rooms and began to study and began to understand that there were certain things I was putting into my body that were setting up a phenomenon of craving that drove me back into the food, drove me back to my knees, drove me back to powerless, restlessness, irritability, discontent, added weight to my body, got me... Um, very close to a pre-diabetic condition in a matter of just 10 months after nine years without sugar, um, I have an allergy of the body. I am not like uh, the average temperate eater. I, I am different. Um, I'm different. Other people didn't understand. Why can't you just stop, push away from the table, cut the meal in half? You know, um, when you go out to a restaurant, and I even remember... <laughs> My my wonderful mom who loves me so much saying, you'll never get married because you're obese. Just all the loving ways that people try to support us <laughs> out there because they just don't understand. And I did not understand, just like Bill W. did not understand. Why do I keep getting drunk? 
Why can't I put down the food? Why can't I walk away from the refrigerator? How can God have so much power over me? And, um, you know, it wasn't just the food that caused everything to pile up. Food was my answer to everything, but it was also my reason for despair and dismay. And so I am so grateful, first, to Dr. Silkworth for um, coming up with this, uh, this idea, and second, to uh, Bill W. for including this and all the writers of this book for including this so that we can see it and link um, the steps with this this uh, information and achieve recovery. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Elaine. Charles, I eat too much. Can I share? Okay, just a minute, Charles. Uh, okay, so Charles and who else Larry? would like? Larry? Katie F. Janice. Kim. All right, let's see. <laughs> um, I have Charles, Larry, Janice, M, Kim, and I think there was someone else in there. Rakesset? Rakesset, okay. Okay, so we'll go in that order. Charles, Larry, Janice, M, Kim, and Rakesset. Go ahead, Charles. Hi, right, good morning, visionaries. My name is Charles. I eat too much of a recovered compulsive overeater. And I apologize, Kathy. Thank you for your service for bum-rushing it, but you got to be quick when you read this part of this uh, doctor's opinion. I'd like to drill down. There's so much good money in here. I'd like to drill down where it says, these allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things feel Oh, my goodness, that is good money right there. Um, can't have one. It's just that simple. I, I can't have one. Once I have one piece of one, it's over. One is, we all heard this cliche, one is too many, a thousand is never enough. I cannot safely have it straight up. Like, you know, I just came in from work, and I asked my wife, you know, I don't believe in time slots. I asked my wife, honey, can you please wake me up? At seven o'clock. My life depends on this. Straight up, y'all must, you know, people must be like, yo, this guy, you know, really, you know what? No, my life depends on this. I need to be brainwashed every day to know I can't pick one up safely. I can't pick one up safely. If I get a bright idea, I break out into all types of nonsense. And I don't know when it's going. This roller coaster gonna let me come on. I'm tired of the roller coaster, man. I'm tired of white-knuckle abstinence. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. And it, you know what? Prison is a state of mind. You know, when Sugar called me, when Sugar, called, when Sugar used to call me, I let the phone call go to voicemail, but then I changed my phone number. You know how I changed my phone number? By getting up every morning and dissecting this big book with you guys and ladies every single morning. I, it, sleep don't matter. Work don't matter. You know, I remember coming in, you know, program saying, you know, trying to sound important, well, my job, and, you know, you know, my job is to stay recovered one day at a time and to try to pass this message to someone else. That's my job. So, yeah, I break out, and, and my reliance upon something human, no, no. I remember relying on, on human things. I remember relying on things that just couldn't help me out. So I need to remember every single day. I need to be brainwashed in a positive manner. 
but I can't safely have one. Thank you, God, for this 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 visionary meeting. Thank you for Dr. Silkworth. Thank you for your opinion. Your opinion is law in my life. And that's enough out of me. I pass. Thanks for allowing me to share. Thank you, Chapter you, sir. Thank you, Charles. Uh, Larry, please go ahead. Thanks, Kathy. Larry, recovered uh, compulsive reader from Chicago. I'm going to be the 62nd man here. A lot of good people to share. Um, look, I need to know what I'm up against. Um, until I understood what I was up against, I would never complete the steps uh, necessary to uh, to have a complete spiritual transformation. Uh, I'm free today. And uh, this paragraph is a very important paragraph. Um, I didn't know it when I first came to the rooms. You know, manifestation is an event, an action, you know, that, should, that embodies something else. So when I ingest my binge substances, the action of these substances on a chronic compulsive overeater like me results in an adverse reaction, that allergy. What's the reaction? It creates a powerful desire for more, you know, a longing, a yearning. So, but here's the catch. Sometimes I might be able to, to moderate somewhat, but the problem is I never know which way it's going to go. You know, my allergy dictates that. You know, and the average person doesn't doesn't have to deal with that. You know, is it going to be the whole package of cookies or just a few? See, you, you, the, the phenomenon rarely occurs in the average temperate uh, eater. So my current body size has no correlation to whether I'm afflicted with this disease. Someone could be fat, someone could be thin. doesn't matter. Um, the twofold nature of this disease, they're talking about an allergy. The allergy is that when I ingest these substances, it, it uh, brings about the phenomenon of craving, and I'm off and running, and the food takes me. I better understand that um, if I'm to, uh, to, to, to take the medicine, the prescription that brings about a spiritual awakening that, that has given me complete 100% freedom. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Um, Janice M., please go ahead. Yes, and thank you so much, Kathy Kay, and everyone here. Okay, I'm going to piggyback on Larry. Set me up. All right. The action of my binge foods, okay, that means the action on me who, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a real compulsive overeater. It is all an indication, the manifestation of the allergy. Now, we know the allergy is strictly physical. We have to know that. The allergy is physical. And what does that do? The result, like was said, is a phenomenon of craving. See, I never knew what my real problem was. I knew that, oh, yeah, when I picked it up, I wanted more, and I was never satisfied. But this is real. The action of this binge food in me, in me, not a temperate eater, um, creates a phenomenon of craving. All right, let's look at the word craving. You know, in the world, outside of the big book, the word craving means, oh, I'm dying for a pickle, I'm dying for a donut, I'm dying, you know, that's the craving. But in the context of the big book, with doctor's opinion, craving does not start, this phenomenon does not begin unless I pick up that bite. Then the phenomenon of craving starts. It doesn't start before. The obsession is there, but it's not the craving. The craving is physical. You see, I have to know that. I have to know that. Um, and then we'll get into the obsession. But this is all about being physical. 
you know, the appearance. I, you can't see the phenomenon of craving, but I can feel it. And only somebody like me knows what it is. It starts the ball rolling. You know, I never have enough. A non-compulsive overeater says, oh, I'm full. Oh, I can't eat any more. Well, let me tell you, I used to eat and I was full, but I still ate some more. I was never satisfied. That's the phenomenon of craving. It's physical. So therefore, if something is physical, I can't control it because it's inside me. It's an allergy. And uh, that's what he's saying. And this doesn't occur in the normal compulsive, the normal eater. They'd, that's why I am abnormal when it comes to certain foods. That's why I cannot take that first bite. Once that first bite is ingested, the phenomenon of craving is awoken. It's, it's very simple. And then we can go into the um, obsession of the mind at another time. But that's what the physical phenomenon of craving is. It doesn't, it doesn't happen to my husband. It happens to me and a lot of people on the line. But the craving, it starts once I ingest the substance. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Kim, please go ahead. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Wow, this is the paragraph that set me free. You know, it says, the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy. And I think we're just going to hear share after share, slamming home that allergy. So I'm going to slam it home again. You know, if we look up allergy in 2014, what we're going to look for is the rash, the, the watery eyes, the, the drippy nose those reactions we get to food in different substances. But if you looked up the definition of allergy in the 1930s when this book was written, it was much simpler. It simply said an abnormal reaction to a substance. So let me give you a simple example. I am not an alcoholic. If I sat down with an alcoholic and we both had five shots of tequila, we'd both get drunk because that is the normal reaction to alcohol to get drunk. But what would happen to me is I would feel a little bit sick, I'd feel a little bit nauseous, i feel a little bit tipsy, a little bit out of control. I don't like that feeling. I don't want any more alcohol. An alcoholic is going to feel charged up, excited, more in control. They're going to want more of that feeling. So they're going to want the rest of my liquor, and they're going to go out and search out more liquor. So if 8 out of 10 people react like me, and 2 out of 10 people react like the alcoholic, and all that means is they simply have an abnormal reaction. This is not a judgment on moral character or willpower. So if I can apply that to my binge foods, so when I would go to a birthday party and someone would have half a piece of cake and I would beat myself up because why can't I have the half a piece instead of asking the hostess if I could help clean up so I can eat all the leftovers in the kitchen, what I didn't realize is they don't have willpower. They're having that half a piece of cake. It's a little bit too sweet. Their little stomach's feeling a little bit upset. They don't like that feeling, and they don't want any more cake. I had That was a freedom to me. It was a freedom from realizing that it wasn't about me having bad moral character or bad willpower. My body reacts differently. And what happens is those 8 out of 10 people are looking at me and seeing what the food does for me, and they're wondering why I do it. Me being two of the ten people, I know what the food does for me, and I'm wondering why the heck they don't do it. So that's what an allergy is. It's simply an abnormal reaction. That is something that is physically mandated in my body, that my body reacts differently. 
And that gave me the freedom to understand that I have a disease without guilt, without shame, but I had to take responsibility for that. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. And Rakesha, please go ahead. Um, this is Rakesha from California, recovered compulsive overeater. Um, this paragraph has really, really said a lot to me. It describes me to the T, basically. But the first thing that I that I noticed was they used the word never twice in this, in this paragraph. Never is a very strong word. Didn't you sometimes, occasionally, usually, maybe, they used the word never twice, that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. I don't think of the torture I go through, the cravings I go through when I'm when I'm trying to be absent, I can't. I don't think those kind of cravings are the same cravings that the temperate uh, drinker or overeater goes through. Yeah, you know, sometimes uh, regular overeaters will 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 have a craving, but it's, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a torture and the pain that I feel. And then it says these types can never, 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 never safely use alcohol in any form at all, and. That's me. I cannot have any form of alcohol or my binge foods at all. That doesn't mean that on my birthday I can have a taste of something or on Thanksgiving I can have a little bit of this because it's a special day. No. There's no such thing as a special food day for me. There there can't be. The other thing that caught my eye was in the next sentence that says, uh, and once having formed a habit, Habit, that's a really good word, because that describes me, and, th- and found they cannot break it. That's what happens when I indulge my, my binge food. I quickly, quickly form a habit, and I can't break it. I can't break it as much as I want. Every morning I get up and I say, I'm not going to engage in that kind of, uh, 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 you know, of eating today. But I couldn't, I could not, because it was a habit. There was one period in my life pretty long period, months and months actually, where I was trying to get abstinent and I just couldn't. And every day, every day on the way to work, six o'clock in the morning, I I take a road to get to the freeway and there was a store there that I would go into and buy either a whole cake or a dozen donuts and then a whole bag full of binge food for the day that I could eat at my desk at work. And that was a habit. It became a habit. Every day I was doing that. It's a ritual. Every morning I would do that. I didn't want to. I would cry and pray to God that I don't do it. But every morning, for months, months, I would do that. Eat a whole cake or a whole dozen donuts for breakfast and then have a whole uh, grocery bag of junk food for the day, plus go out and have lunch and go to the to the cafeteria for breakfast. It was just insane. So habits are really hard to break. And what I had to do to break that habit was I could not drive that road anymore. I could not go by that store anymore. I had to take a different route to get to the freeway. Yeah, it was it was inconvenient. It was longer. It was slower. But I had to break the habit because once I start eating, once I'm a, because I'm an addict, my eating becomes a habit very, very quickly for me. The same binge foods day after day, and I have to break that. I have to break that. I have to, to learn a different habit. That I eat three meals a day, nothing in between, no sugar, no flour, no individual binge foods. That's the habit I had 
I had to form, and that's the habit I still live by. So thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Red Cassidy. <clears throat> Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Patty. Leanne. I'd like to share. This is Vasa. Okay, so I have Patty, Leanne, Suji, uh, and Vasa. Did I get everybody? Okay, Patty, go ahead, please. Hello? Patty? Yes. Hi, my name is Patty, and I am a compulsive overeater recovered in California. And I'd like to share just on one little area here. Um, these allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And for me, that meant I had to give up not only the sugar, not only the flour, I had to give up all sweeteners, I had to give up stevia, I had to give up anything that had a sweet taste to it. Because in my brain, and I'm just speaking for myself, but in my brain, anything sweet just registers as a binge food. And um, I found that, you know, I was putting more and more packets into my abstinent food, and I would put more and more packets into my coffee, and more and more packets into my uh, oatmeal. And, I mean, it was becoming that I was just, finally I started opening these little packets of artificial sweeteners and eating them right out of the little packet, just one by one by one. It just was amazing for me that I was actually allergic to the artificial sweeteners. Gum. I would, could not stop chewing uh, the artificial sweeteners in gum. Um, one time I went to the uh, drugstore to get some cough drops for a cold. They were sugar-free, but I ate the whole bag before I went to the register. And at the register, the guy looks at me with this empty bag, and I'm there to pay for it, you know. I had a whole bag of cough drops in the store. It was just amazing to me that the sweeteners could get me as much as the flour and sugar. So for me, I had to give up the sweeteners as well. I don't know if anyone else has a problem with this, but it was definitely a big problem with me. And now it's been over six months since I've had sweeteners, and um, my life has totally changed. I got freedom from the food. The allergic allergy in me to those sweeteners um, has finally been uh, put down. And thank you, God, to this program and the 12 steps that hopefully it will stay down one day at a time. Thank you so much for allowing me to share, and thank you for your service. Thank you, Patty. <clears throat> Leanne, please go ahead. Hi there. This is Leanne, uh, recovered from anorexia and... Um, overeating. This has reminded me of something that just happened recently. I could only eat a certain, there's a certain food that I just kept out of my food plant because I could never handle it. And then it came out with, with only two ingredients. Just uh, I, found a, I found some that had only two ingredients, which was milk and salt. And I thought, oh, that's, that's great. So my sponsor allowed me to start having it again. No problem. No problem. We were away about a month ago, and my husband picked up a different brand, and I looked at the ingredients and thought, oh, gee, you know, modified food starch, the very last ingredient. That shouldn't be a problem. Oh, my gosh. It, in uh, the three days later, I wanted to eat the world. I didn't even want, I mean, I wanted that food, but I wanted everything. Um, that's how sensitive I am. I remember um, growing up, 
certain foods like innocent things like grape nuts, can't handle it, wheat bread, raisin bran, all those things, I could never stop thinking about them. Even when I became in my anorexic mode, I started, I put myself on a very strict diet. I would make sure I rode my bike after every meal, but all I could think about was the bread. I just wanted more bread, even when I was trying to, you know, be restrictive. So I know that like things like modified food starch and corn syrup and me too with the sweeteners. I went through three boxes a week with sweeteners. So I'm grateful, yeah, like we're talking about today. I know what I'm up against. Apparently I'm an extremely sensitive person that cannot handle anything like that, any kind of taste of sugar, any gum, mints, or anything like that. So it's good for me to know that today. Thanks for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Leanne. Uh, Sue G., go ahead, please. Hi, it's Sue G., recovered in uh, southeastern Pennsylvania. I'll try to speak slowly but not long because uh, this this stuff absolutely thrills me. It's the statement of the pre-step. And the pre-step is to put down the food because you can't eat any of it and get better. And I think OA has a beautiful statement of abstinence. This is about beginning your program of abstinence. And it says that abstinence is the action of refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight, etc. And then it mentions the spiritual. And and I find in practicing my program and staying recovered, I need to start with the prayer. Then I can have a conversation with Hubi, with the God of my understanding, about my abstinence. That's where that has to live. I can get guidance from human beings, but I have to be straight on a course with Hubi to, to do this. And what what is our beautiful program? It it is. It begins with an action. It begins with the action of abstinence in conjunction with some form of spirituality. And and I suggest the connection through a little prayer. That, that that we even learned to do in elementary school. I mean, I learned that. All of us did. And then comes the action that's going to take away the craving, and that is we are going to work the steps. And the, the place that has to be dealt with perfectly is step one. Step one, a total acceptance of one's powerlessness, that I have a disease, a chronic disease that will not, I will not recover from it unless I take all necessary action. And the first action, as the very generous Dr. Silkworth suggested, is accept whatever your physical disease is here. And and I would like to say I'm a soul doctor, and I think about this. I think we we can all be soul doctors. And and that the physical disease, we've learned a little more from 1939 to 2014, we know that it's, it's even more mysterious than they thought. It, it has neurochemicals mediating the process. And, and that's a physical condition. That's not a condition of our imagination. That's as real 
as it is that it's now whatever time it is this morning, and it's time for Suji to stop, and thank you for letting me share I pass. Thank you, Sue. Uh, Vasa, please go ahead. Press star one, Vasa, to unmute. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me to unmute. Um, again, thank you, Vision, for for you, for me. I am a, I'm Vasa and grateful, recovering, compulsive overeater, and I'm calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. And this is exactly, you know, the way it describes me, and I, t- I can identify with the alcoholic. No, I was not using alcohol, but I was addicted to sugar. I did not understand the allergy of the physical body with the mental obsession until I heard and read the doctor's opinion. And I was just, I was terrified. I really was terrified what I was doing to my body. It was getting progressive for me. I was 41 years old when I came to this program. I'd been suffering for 25 years of my life, trying to put the food down that I've heard everybody try to do this and do that, and I couldn't do it. I did not understand about the allergy. And being afraid, you know, I was beginning to develop physical problems, like I was on the borderline diabetic, high blood pressure, and I just found this program just in time. And I'm just so, so grateful, you know, to have learned what was wrong with me, why I cannot eat like others, you know. I mean, I see my kids, they're sucking on candy on my grandkids, and I'm praying for them. I'm saying, oh, my God, you know, I hope they don't have the allergy like I have, you know. I see my husband, you know, but he can eat only so much and he can put it down. It's not a big deal. I told him every single night when we sat to eat supper, oh, I love to eat. You know, he heard that so many times. He didn't hear how many times I loved him. So, um, but anyways, um, this allergy types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all, and that's me. I cannot have only one. One brings me to one more and one more, and I'm too oblivious. And the habit, you know, breaking the habit, I getting on my knees and asking God, please help me, relieve me from this obsession. And I avoided certain aisles when I went shopping. I wouldn't go to certain aisles. I wouldn't look at the stuff. I would go to the fruits and vegetables, meats and uh, dairies, you know, with the things that I could handle. And it broke my confidence. I had no confidence. I could not. It was not working, so I gave in to the food addiction. And then I had asked God, please help me. Help me. Show me if you're there out there somewhere. Show me. Help me. And I found, you know, a way not too long after that. And that's the way I thought. I. That's how God showed me, brought me into the program. Thank you for letting me share my path. Kathy, are you still with us? Press star one. Okay, I'm here. Sorry, I was muted. Um, Becca W. I would like to share. (laughs) Okay, who did I hear? Becca W. Melanie. Okay. 
the person before Melanie, I'm sorry I didn't get your name. Becca W. Becca W. Okay. So Becca W. and then Melanie. Go ahead, Becca. Hi. Thank you so much. And good morning to everyone. I'm Becca W., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Maryland. Um, I'll just do a short share. Um, We cannot have it in any form. When I go through um, people's food with them, that's the first thing that I do before I decide to sponsor. Um, And I have them write down all of their food. Um, And what we're looking at is not the actual food. We're looking at ingredients because we cannot have certain ingredients that we're allergic to in any form. Now, some people say, well, it's the seventh ingredient. It's the tenth ingredient. You cannot have it at all. If your body is allergic to it, you cannot have it at all. And we have to come to a point where we're willing. Sometimes it even takes mourning certain foods. I had to mourn foods in order to be able to say, okay, I I get this. I really can't have it. Because if I was still putting it in my body, I was still allergic to it, which meant the mental twist was still affecting my life. And I kept going through the cycle, as Ruth describes in the 2012 edition of the Doctor's Opinion Special Edition. Um, That cycle will just keep continuing, and it will keep going down and down and down. And unless we get ourselves out of it, um, there was at least no chance for me. So I had to look at all my foods, then break it down by ingredients, and I had to figure out what ingredients my body was allergic to. Once I did that, it gave me the room to then start with a step sponsor doing the big book method, and I was able to have the clarity of mind to fill the voids that I was filling with food with God, my higher power. So thank you so much. Today I'm recovered because of that process. I encourage all of you who are just starting to do something similar. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful day, and I pass. Thank you, Becca W. Melanie, please go ahead. Hi. Thanks, Kathy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, I wanted to talk about um, something that was suggested to me before I move on to an idea that I had. But um, it was suggested that the last, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six lines, I might turn those into questions, that there would be five of them to come to some sort of conclusion of whether or not it does look like there is evidence of the allergy on my body and things like these allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form, and I would change that into a question. I found that pretty helpful because um, it wasn't until I came in these rooms and I listened to you all teach me about this big book that I even got that thing wrapped around my head. I couldn't get it because I had developed all of my lifelong um, evidence that um, everybody was really the same but somehow I was unlucky in love, <laughs> i.e. unlucky in diet. Um, thinking back to when I was in high school and um, that was a you know huge dieting time, yogurt just came out and that was one of the deals that we would do. But I, in hindsight, after being in recovery, being in these rooms, studying the big book, going back to review that time, the evidence of my mental illness was already in place. It looked to me at that time then I was... Uh, um, surrounding myself with a couple, two or three really, really best friends that were my food-eating binge buddies. They were also my dieting buddies, so that reinforced that idea. But the other thing that was most important to me was this one person in high school, tall, gorgeous, blonde, just skinny as a rail kind of person. 
I had this love-hate relationship with her. She was my friend, but I love hated her because I knew that she ate just like me, but she had this magic gene that caused her to never eat. I went to her house. I saw, oh, my gosh, her parents bought cases of candy bars, cases of individual-sized packaged chips and things like that, and nobody in their household was fat, not one person. And I knew for a fact then that there was there was this clear this clear thing. There was something in me. And then somewhere around 16 years old, I had this epiphany. I was standing in the kitchen on one of my great self-designed diets. It was the all-day, all-long red licorice twist diet. And it was working. I was dropping some weight, and that's all I had. But I stood there in that kitchen. I can see it really clearly as if it were yesterday, um, saying to myself, you know what? If I don't get a handle on this, this is going to get out of control. So way beyond that, way before that, I had lost any kind of freedom to do anything before that. But it wasn't until I got into these rooms, and you taught me, and I was able to study, that this idea that it never occurs in the average temperate drinker, my beloved best friend, skinny girlfriend, I hated her guts and loved her dearly, um, didn't have the thing that I had. And thank God we're teaching it now in these rooms because we didn't teach it. We can teach it in the LA rooms I've been going to before. With that, I pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Melanie. Uh, this is Kathy Kay. I'd like to take a turn. Um, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And I want to speak particularly to the newcomers who are on the line um, because what I'm hearing and what I experienced is that for some of us, it's a process of figuring out. Uh, our binge foods, it may not be clear to us entirely on day one. And that was certainly my experience, that over time uh, I had to refine my list of binge foods um, as I discovered that um, uh, they were um, actually causing me a craving or only a mental obsession, but nonetheless, interfered with my serenity around the food. And so at the beginning, I took the general guidelines of my sponsor and of others in the rooms. But over time, uh, as my honesty increased and my self-awareness increased, I actually came up with other foods that appeared to be okay because they didn't have sugar and flour in the first five ingredients. But nonetheless, they had a hold on me when I ingested them. So I think, um, you know, the principle of step one being honesty is so important here. And um, for those who are new, who are just establishing their uh, binge foods, their red light and green light foods, um, it's really important to be honest if you're having difficulty with a particular food. Um, that is, it's shaking up your abstinence or your uh, serenity around the food, that it may be time to give that up as well. And with that, I pass. Is there anybody else who would like to share before we move on? Katie F. Go ahead, Katie. Good morning. This is Katie up a recovered compulsive overeater in in Virginia. And I just want to follow up on, on what you were just saying, Kathy, that 
you know, this is such good news to me today because um, I really didn't understand what happened, that these allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all, um, that I'm different from other people. I see other people, and they seem to be able to, you know, overeat on Thanksgiving, and then the day after, they don't want to touch it. And that is not my experience. But I don't want people, you know, if you're new to this, you know, I don't want you to be overwhelmed by everything that's been said this morning that, you know, oh, I can't have this. Okay, I, I need to do that. Okay, well, I can't have that. Well, you know, I better look out for this. Because the first step is admitting you're powerless over food and your life has become unmanageable. And it isn't a, you know, skip the second and third step and move on to the fourth step. You know, we, we take the second step and the third step, which is admitting that we need a power outside of ourselves. Because all of the knowledge in the world, all of the, you know, the perfect food plan, you know, making sure I'm eliminating exactly what I need to eliminate and I eat exactly the way I'm supposed to eat and I do exactly what I'm supposed to do so I never have these allergic foods in my body. You know what? That didn't work. It didn't work to just be abstinent because there's a missing ingredient and that is the unmanageability. I, my life is unmanageable and it has to do with what I'm eating. I have a mental problem in my head that tells me that my new idea, whatever it is, is better than whatever someone else is telling me to do. And, you know, it's not just about the food. It's about the food, but it's not about the food. And so, yes, it is very important to understand this, that it is not a one-person program. We need each other. We admitted we were powerless over food so that we can walk this together. Um, you know, if you're new today and you are like, oh, my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? Hang on, get a sponsor, and they will walk you through this. And you will find a higher power, and you will get through to the other side. And the good news is I don't have to drive a different route to avoid my binge foods. I don't have to cover up the food in my house. You know, the good news is when you get to the other side of these steps and you have that spiritual awakening, you can walk a free person among other foods because we live in America where there is food everywhere. And there's food everywhere in my house, and I don't have to avoid it. I don't want to eat it, and that is not something I mustered up on my own because I stopped eating it. It's, there's this, uh, you know, this occurrence that has that happens where – you know, with working with my higher power and working with you fellows, continuing to share my experience, strength, and hope, I wake up every day and I don't want to kill myself. And I don't want to do the things that I did, you know, that were just so sabotaging to my life. But it's a one-day-at-a-time process, and I didn't ever graduate, and I'm so grateful with that I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Okay, I think we're not going to go on to another paragraph, so we have about three minutes left. Are there any other closing comments? Uh, I'd like Carolyn, to share. Is this is Michelle Kay. Carolyn? 
Okay. Um, said I'd like to share. That was. Yeah, Michelle K. Okay, Michelle K. And who came after Michelle K? Carolyn. Okay, let's see if we can get those two in. If you can take two minutes, okay, Michelle. Okay. Yeah. Hi, this is Michelle K. from Northern New Jersey. Um, recovered, recovering continually. I loved when um, Kathy was talking about a newcomer that brought to me. This is just a topic that I'm constantly aware of looking at my trigger foods. And I was just thinking that I have to retain this newcomer's mind, like Zen mind, beginner's mind, this newcomer's mind in looking um, for foods that are trigger foods that I wasn't aware of in the beginning and like Leah was talking about, I find for me it's more of the mental obsession um, that can be triggered. And, you know, I look at my food plan that I've been following since um, I started and it's so clean and it doesn't have my trigger foods, but my binge foods and my alcohol, but when I, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was faced with an item I didn't even think was an issue, and although I didn't ingest it, it became this mental obsession for me, and I had to add that onto my alcoholic list of foods, and I didn't, it didn't occur to me, um, and so I think that that is something I've been thinking about in the last few days, and it just um, this is just so perfect. And I want to thank everybody for their just incredible shares and the education that I'm receiving this morning on a topic that has been at the forefront of my mind. So, with that, I will pass. And with gratitude, I thank you all for your service. Thank you, Michelle Kay and Carolyn. You'll be our last two-minute share. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, what struck me is. Um, the individuality of, of binge foods and, um, and yeah, the progression of understanding what those are. I'm in program almost 11 years, and my program, my food plan has changed dramatically. My list of um, problem foods has changed dramatically. And um, it, it took me a long time to realize that I'm not just addicted to sugar or sugar stub- substitutes even. I'm addicted to sweetness, any kind of sweetness. I can't have caramelized onions. Um, you know, anything that tastes sweet. It doesn't matter if it's a vegetable, a fruit, whatever. Um, and, and the other thing was, it's also liquids. Like when I was, um, you know, quote-unquote abstinent, I thought I was, before uh, recovering, I used to binge on um, Diet Snapple iced tea. And I, I probably drank like four or five of those a day, plus a couple of diet sodas. And, um, I, and my mouth was always bathed in sweetness. You know, so it wasn't even necessarily something I was chewing. It was just this, this flavor, this comforting flavor of sweetness. And I wasn't unwilling for a very long time to give up the artificial sweeteners um, until there was this woman in the program or in the room one day who said, you know, Carolyn, people come to the meeting and they might have a bottle of water. You always come with a cooler of drinks. And my kids would ask me too, Mom, why do you always travel with a cooler in the car? And I say, oh, well, you know, in case I get thirsty. Um, it was to replace food, but it was it was still sweet, and it was still feeding my addiction. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Carolyn. Thank you, everyone who has shared. Um, we will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164 and follow that with the serenity prayer. Anita J., would you please read a vision for you? Yes, I will. This is Anita J. from Massachusetts, recovered very gratefully. 
Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you, Anita. Um, I 